0: Welcome in, everyone, to episode 12 of Up and Down, a Disc Golf Analytics podcast. I'm Jesse, joined as usual by Joey.
1: Yeah, you are.
0: We're the nerds who run this thing, and on this episode, we will be breaking down the 2022 European Open. But first, Joey, how you doing, man?
1: I'm doing great, man. It's been really hot on this side of the country lately, so I haven't got out and played much disc golf lately, but I'm sure living in the Southwest, you have absolutely no... uh, no ear for my complaints about how hot it is.
0: Yeah, it's funny because I was out there just recently in Massachusetts, and it was like equally as humid in Massachusetts as it was in Arizona, which like never happens. Like for Arizona, at least where I am in Arizona, to be thirty-five percent humidity is like unheard of. Right. So I think actually we we might be similar. Yeah. In terms it's... of uh, how disgusting it is.
1: It's been like ninety to ninety five and, and moderate to high humidity for for two weeks now, and it's really tough to do anything outside. So, yeah, I've been getting to the, the rock climbing gym with some friends and staying inside in the air conditioning, trying to stay active. So, excited about that. How are things with you?
0: Yeah, pretty pretty darn good. Uh, like we were just saying, you know, Arizona is also pretty hot, but I'm not in Arizona this week. I'm on travel to Utah, and of course. When you're in Utah, you have to try to make it out to the fort. And fortunately, no pun intended, I was able to make it out to the fort, played a couple rounds, uh, one of which I met up with Andrew Yale, who, uh, not a household name by any means, you know, but uh, I guess his most noteworthy connection to disc golf is he is the husband of Emily Yale, recently crowned 2022 U.S. Amateur Women's Champion. So, cool. unfortunately, Emily was not able to join us for our round this week, but it was a blast. Andrew, also a contributor to the Statmando community. So, obviously, some common interests there, and a graduate from our alma mater. So, surprisingly, a lot in common. So, I was fortunate to find out that he was also, well, he is in the Utah area. We met up to play around at the fort. I was able to do some practice putting at the fort on the holy basket. No less, hole 18. And so that is noteworthy because if you don't know, usually hole 18 at the fort is not in the ground for whatever reason. I don't know why, but usually it's not in the ground. And this time it was. So uh, I had a whole afternoon until like 9 p.m., at which point it was still light out, which was really cool, to just practice putting all by myself, no one else around, on the holy basket. So that that was pretty cool. Was kind pretty of a cool.
1: special moment, yeah.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, still in Utah, as we are recording this, I'll be heading out tomorrow. The other thing, if you're going to make the trip to the fort, then you're only an hour away from the Infinite Disks warehouse. So that was where I was today. Got out of work a little bit early, made the trip up there, uh, and made a couple purchases. So I am a disc collector of sorts. Usually I like to buy first runs and special editions, things like that. So I was able to find a Flex 3 Rainmaker, which is pretty cool. I also picked up a Finish Line Era, the launch edition. And I'll be honest, I think the launch edition was before what they call the first run edition, which they also had plenty of. Um, they had first runs, launch editions, and just regular stock runs. So, I found a launch edition one that is in this really cool color that's like somewhere between plum and like magenta, which there's a wide range between plum, purple, and magenta. and I, I don't know how to describe it, but it's very cool. The plastic is super nice the The closest comparison I can make is seven fifty okay. and The other aspect that reminds me of Prodigy is on the top of the rim, there's like a little groove for your thumb. Not like a thumb track by any means, but you know what I'm talking about? Like with the thumb groove? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so this has that, and the plastic feels exactly like 750. So pretty cool.
1: Yeah, 750
0: is great plastic. And of course... Cracking open another cold one on this episode as well. I failed to mention last week. Um, what I was drinking last week was a pink ginger ale. So, oh. You know we like pink on, on this uh, podcast, so we I had sure to mention do. that.
1: What do you have this time?
0: So This time I'm going with the sparkling ice pink grapefruit.
1: Okay, pink again.
0: Did not intentionally go pink for the color. I just like grapefruit, and I'll choose yeah, grapefruit say. over most other things. I know you and like it does happen fruit. to also be pink. So we're on a good stretch here.
1: <laughs> Love to hear it. So in, in disc golf news, I, I'm sure everybody listening to this has heard by now, we have some new major champions, but neither of them are players that have not won a major before, Eagle McMahon and Paige Pierce. So this is Eagle's second win he won in 2018 the Konopiste Open, which there was no European Open that year, so it was effectively the European Open that year. Um, so in my, in my eyes, this is his second European Open win. And then Paige Pierce, who is also no stranger to winning the European Open, I believe this is her third.
0: I think you're correct.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I have it here. Uh, 2013, 2019, and 2022.
0: All right, so she did have a little bit of a gap in there, but yeah. 2019 was very recent. In fact, I think that was the most recent.
1: Yes, that was the last time that this event was played.
0: Not every day you get a uh, back-to-back tournament winner three years apart.
1: Yeah. Notably, Eagle taking down Paul by just one stroke came down to the final two holes. This would have been Paul's sixth European Open, and it would have been Paul's sixth European Open in a row. Oh, so, man. If you, if you ignore the Konopiste complication, this, Paul has won every named European Open since 2013.
0: Man. Yeah. That is a stat. So, yeah, when we call Paul five-time, we are not just talking about world championships. We are also talking European Open championships, quote-unquote. I guess there's a Kona Piste in there as well. And I think, isn't he a five-time U.S.? Or maybe three-time?
1: Three-time U.S., five-time European.
0: Okay, okay. And yeah, he's, he's, so he's, got he's got a, multiple five-times.
1: He's got a few of those weird ones. The They did the Japan Open, and there was a European Masters and an Australia Open. Um And I I think in in 2015, that was the year he won European Open, Australian Open, USDGC, and Worlds. So he swept the four majors that that year.
0: Not too shabby, I'd say.
1: Yeah. And actually, interestingly, I, I just saw that in 2016, Paul's win at the European Open, the European Open was not considered a PDGA major that year.
0: Oh, that's weird. Okay. So
1: that so that's interesting. Nevertheless, uh okay. certainly a battle for the ages um coming down the stretch between Paul and Eagle. Sort of a cool story, you know, with, with Eagle not playing most of the season due to his injuries and it kind of being uncertain right up until the end whether or not he was gonna play this event and then whipping out some lefty backhands in the final round. I mean that's as good as it gets, right?
0: Yeah, pretty pretty interesting. I mean, we've seen one-sided players win big events in the past. Obviously, James Conrad taking down the World Championships last year. So not unprecedented, but still cool nonetheless. It's always going to be cool to see people throwing with their off hands. And it sounds like a lot of other pros have started trying it. Not necessarily in big events or events of any kind, really. But every once in a while, you'll see people trying it on Instagram, things like that. So it's definitely, it's been the new trend of late.
1: Yeah, and, you know, especially with injuries and stuff like that, I, I think everybody knows that, you know, these long power forehands can be really rough on your body and, and seeing a player able to throw 400 feet with their offhand on a backhand is, you know, a much safer way on your body to get the disc
0: spin in the other way. All right, Joey, so normally we start out here with 60-second stories. I think we've pretty much covered that. We didn't call it 60-second stories, but that's effectively what we've done, so let's just move on here to what it takes, where we break down what it took to reach the podium and finish strongly and perhaps even win at this event. So take us through what Eagle did to take down Paul Macbeth because (laughs) no one else was really in the mix. So... We we talk all the time
1: about you know the y- you want to be at the at the top of the list in, in the both in both T to green and the putting stats. That's exactly what Eagle McMahon did. So circle one in regulation, first place. Circle two in regulation, second place. Not to Paul, birdie percentage first place, scramble percentage first place. Circle one and circle two putts, he was in third in both. Circle 1x putting is the only stat that Paul was able to top Eagle in, and it was barely. Paul putted 97% inside the circle to Eagle's 95. So Eagle just barely edged out Paul. I mean, we're talking about one stroke here. But tee to green, Eagle shot about a stroke and a half higher than Paul, Um, and, and he was more than a half a stroke gained on the putting green as well the only difference that brought them closer is that eagle had an extra ob stroke so they both played lights out games t to green there was only one player chandler kramer who finished in fifth that shot higher than either of them in strokes gained t to green and eagle and paul were also first and second in strokes gained putting
0: yeah chandler Gaining about half a stroke on eagle in uh, shots gained T to green. Putting closer to average, but hey, leading in shots gained T to green was good enough to be on the lead card for a couple rounds, and he didn't disappoint. It was fun to watch him.
1: Yeah, over on the FPO side, we've got Paige Pierce shooting a first place 82% in Circle 1X. Katrina also breaking that 80% mark. She finished in fourth. Page finishing third in strokes gained T to green, three full strokes behind Evelina Salonen. We'll definitely talk a little bit more about some of the stuff Evelina did this weekend. Henna in second place, T to green. But Page gained more than five strokes above Katrina putting. They were first and second place in the putting, and that was where Paige was able to gain her last few strokes. In classic Paige fashion, she had more OB strokes than anybody else in the top six, but you know she had the highest birdie percentage, and that's what puts Paige on top.
0: Yeah, and like we said in episode 11, we talk about birdie rate uh, correlating most strongly to circle one and regulation. And while Paige was not first in Shotsky and T to green, she was first in circle one in regulation at
1: 24%. And we, we know that that's what matters. And she was also first in parked percentage and in circle one and circle two putts. And if you're first in one or more of the T to green stats, particularly circle one and regulation, and you're putting on a putting clinic in both circle one and circle two, I don't know that there's a lot of people that are going to beat you.
0: Yeah, you can say it like this. So Paige finished first in the following three stats, okay? Circle one in regulation, shots gained C1X, and shots gained circle two. Yep. It does not get much better than that.
1: It sure doesn't. She edged out Evelina Salonen by three strokes. Hannah Blomroos in third place, seven, sorry, eight strokes behind Paige.
0: Yeah, and we didn't mention this earlier. This is normally a 60-second stories type of thing to say. After round two, Evelina Salin had an eight-stroke lead on the field. Okay? It did not look like anyone was going to catch her, and she still had the lead after round three, but it was close. So while Paige was dominating in these really important statistics, she did not run away with this by any means. No. So Evelina obviously... Put on a great showing as well, first in shots game Tita Green, like you said, and did not have a particularly poor putting game either. And normally, when she's putting well, and she's her normal Evelina Salanen self, Tita Green, it is extremely hard to imagine anyone competing with her. And what did it take to overcome that type of performance by Salin? It's coming in first in circle one regulation and shots gained putting, not just putting total, but individually circle one X and Circle Two. Yeah. And so that's what it takes to beat Evelina Salon by three strokes when she's putting well. So not only was let that Evelina- sink in, people, because that's what Paige did this past weekend is is probably not very repeatable week in and week out. So no, I guess be... what we have to see is if Evelina Salonen's performance can, can be repeatable. Because if it is, then yeesh.
1: Yeah, and talk about performances that might not be repeatable. We will go into a lot of detail about this l- later, but Evelina Salonen has what I think is almost certainly the FPO round of the year so far.
0: Yeah, no kidding. So uh, does that mean we are segueing into crunch time, Joe? I think
1: we definitely are.
0: Yeah, we're getting there. It's crunch time, people. We've crunched the numbers from the entire field top to bottom to bring you the coolest stats from the weekend. So, Joe, perfect time for you to kick it off with Evelina Salonen's round two. Yeah, so in
1: round two, Evelina Salonen shot a 59. So this was four under par. And Jesse, correct me if I'm wrong. I believe the next best round was even par. You Four are strokes correct behind that. And the reason that this is particularly notable is this is so far beyond what any of the other FPO players were able to do. And Evelina on the same exact layout, MPO and FPO played the same layout in the European Open this year. Evelina would have tied for nineteenth place in that round she had the 19th best round in mpo out of a field of 118 players that's insanity insanity how good this yeah that round is not was. something that
0: we see very often
1: no so you know what we had to do we've talked about this before we ran our monte carlo simulation so we took the field average statistics so every single player's performance on each hole, whether they parred, birdied, bogeyed, or more. And we threw it all together, and this simulation takes a random number for each hole and says, hey, does does this imaginary player birdie, or par, or bogey this hole? And the distribution of that randomness is based on the distribution of the scores that the players actually got. So this is from just the FPO field, You do that for every hole, you add up your score, you get a round score. We did that a million times, and the average that we got is pretty consistent with the average that the players actually got on the score, so we're happy with the accuracy of this simulation. One of the challenges here that I'll talk a little bit more about is there was only 24 players in this field, and that has some implications. But nevertheless, when you run all the numbers for a million simulations, there were only three Rounds that shot the same as Evelina's minus four, and there were no rounds that shot better than that in 1 million simulations.
0: 1 million is a big number. It's one of those numbers that's like hard to fathom how, how big that really is. And to only get that same result three times is. Uh... So refresh my memory here, Joe. Um, yes. Paul Macbeth's 16 under at Champions Cup.
1: Four in a million.
0: Four in a million. Okay, so so similar. Now, there is that grain of salt that you mentioned where the sample size here is very small, especially when compared to Champions Cup, which, right, I right. mean, we simulated, or we had data from 400 rounds, more or less, right. whereas this time we're working with less than a quarter of that uh, as our data set. So yeah. do keep that in the back of your mind as you uh, decide the integrity of the data that we have. Or the, the sufficiency, I'll say, if that's a word. Uh, yeah. How sufficient the data set is. But, I mean, nonetheless, extremely impressive.
1: Very, very impressive. It was 3.8 standard deviations below... Sorry, the standard deviation was 3.8, and it was 3.9 standard deviations below the mean, which is really, really, really outlier from the mean. But, again... The massive shaker of salt that we all have to accept is that there was only 24 players in this field. They played three rounds with that field size. They did a cut to 16, and one of the players DNF'd. So there was only 15. So there was less than 100 total rounds going into this sample size, which really isn't a lot when you try to expand that to statistics about a million times. So, like you said, the the data is good, but it's not necessarily sufficient. The reason that we do this is that it's fun and Evelina's round was phenomenal and to say that if you gave a field average player in this tournament a million tries they would only repeat it 3 times is really cool to say. The other note is that this field was really strong. You know, so it's it's not like you just took 24 random players and had them play. I mean, this is a pretty strong field of, you know, a, a lot of European the best European women and then a bunch of notable U.S. women went and and played as well.
0: Yeah, for sure. A little bizarre that this event only had 24 women in the field. I think it was supposed to be 25. Uh, I don't know if anyone took over Kristen Tatar's spot when she dropped out, but either way, even if there was going to be 25, still a pretty small field, which is odd, but to your point, Still a very strong field, and while it's difficult to make any quantitative assessments about the data when the data pool is so small, certainly still, from a subjective perspective, still totally rational to say that this was one of the best FPO rounds, or just rounds in general, that we've seen all year.
1: Yeah, it's it's definitely the best FPO, and I think there's an argument for it being the best FPO or MPO. It's certainly up there with, with Paul's Champions Cup round. I think with some of the history on, on the course at Champions Cup and doing it in the final round to come up from really far behind, some of the context of Paul's round makes it feel more special. You know, it's also Macbeth doing Macbeth things, so there's some, some majesty around that. But statistically, this, this round is very similar.
0: Couldn't agree more.
1: Yeah. And while we're on the topic of Evelina, I, I want to note she putted 70%, which is not amazing with with regards to elite FPO standards, but her season average, which includes that 70%, is only 50%. So she putted much, much better. She was in the top third of the field as far as putting in FPO in this event. So big shout out to Evelina for, for starting to put those putts in and it's clearly showing in how she's finishing in her events in, as we move into the second half of the season.
0: Yeah, so that's a good segue into another crunch time stat that I've got here. So, Evelina Salonen, first in shots gained to green, like we said, and fifth in strokes gained putting. She had plus 3.3 strokes gained putting on the field. This is her second event of the year. Where she gained strokes on the field, putting only the second time, and both of those events have been outside the United States because the other one was Heinola. <laughs> so she's still like over five or over six or something in the U.S. Uh, right. in gaining strokes on the field in putting, but she's two for two, baby, outside the United States.
1: Yes, very cool to see Evelina making those improvements, putting.
0: Yep. So hopefully she'll carry that into the United States. And really, she did a USW DGC for three rounds. Uh, and then it was just that last round that, that put her below zero strokes gain putting. So she was close. She was very close. Uh, and then, in like I said in round four, proceeded to lose the most strokes putting in any single round of any player in any tournament in the FPO this year. Ouch. So Safe, safe to say that round four for her at USW DGC was the worst single round putting performance by a woman this year. Terrible timing, because she could have gained strokes on the field in a tournament in the United States, but alas, that number is still zero. So, staying on the Evelina train shortly, and then we'll hop off here. Uh, actually, that's not true. I have, I have two other notes about Evelina. So, you mentioned that. Four under in round two it was the best round on the week in the FPO by four strokes. And you also already mentioned that only 18 MPO players were able to beat that round in round two. Some of the players who did not, some of the players that Evelina would have beat head to head in that round two, Ricky Wysocki, Linus Carlson, Vino Makala, Adam Hamas, Simon Lazat, Calvin Heimberg, James Conrad, the list goes on. She was beating a lot of really, really big names, so pretty pretty cool to see that.
1: Very, very impressive. Very happy for Evelina to be able to, to pull that off. I, I don't know how she did it, but it was one of the best rounds this year so far.
0: Last Evelina Salonen stat I have, I think. So we mentioned Shotsky and Tita Green. Evelina Salonen was first at 19.8-ish. And second, Henna Blomroos, Pretty close behind, about a stroke and a half at eighteen point three. Third, Paige Pierce sixteen point seven, and then get this, fourth, Kona Panis eleven point seven five. Big jump, huge jump. So it was really those three women, Evelina, Hannah, and Paige, who were in their own tier this weekend, uh, just miles ahead of everybody else.
1: Yeah, to to really underscore Evelina's round. The, the next best, the second highest rated round in the tournament page in round three with a 65, that was 992 rated. Evelina's round two, 59, was 1028 rated.
0: Oh, man. That might be the highest, the highest rated FPO round I've ever heard of, at least for this year for sure.
1: Yeah, I, I thought I had heard of Haley King having a ten thirty at, maybe maybe GMC last year. Um, that's what comes to mind. I'm gonna I'm gonna look it up right now.
0: Yeah, not a bad idea. I'm gonna keep reading some stats here. But yeah, another please. thing that might be worth looking into, and maybe I'll do this in parallel, is Kristen Tatar. In round two of Jonesboro, I think, had she shot like six under or something when no one else shot better than even... Or maybe she just shot the best round by six strokes. I, I think that's what it was. Is she shot the best round by like 10 strokes or something. And uh, that one, I I thought the number I had in my head was like 1017.
1: Okay. All right. So, so if I... we
0: say typically... 10 ratings points roughly equates to one stroke, then you could say that Evelina Salinens round in round two of the European Open was roughly one stroke better, I guess, if you can equate it like that.
1: Sure. So I I was right about Haley here. So Haley won the 2021 Green Mountain Championship. And in round three, she shot a 54 which was a 1052 rated round, which is bonkers.
0: That but, is insane.
1: But there are a lot of very, very highly rated rounds in this field, and the field was 41 players, which is decent for FPO, but it's not a huge field. And Haley herself had two other rounds that were right around 1,000, Katrina had one that was 1020. Um, And then there was a whole lot of 990s and 1000s. Sarah Hocum had one that was right around 1000 and one that was about 1020. So I wonder if there's a little bit of that memorial effect where, you know, something about this course tends towards higher ratings. Nevertheless, 1052. We'll have to... lean into our, our StatMando community a little bit and, and see if we can dig up whether or not Haley's 10.52 is, is the highest rated FPO round.
0: Yeah, for sure. I've also done some digging on Kristen Tatar at Jonesboro. It was round one where she shot her best round at Jonesboro, and that round was only rated 10.18. Okay. Which, I, I mean, I say only. Obviously, that's a phenomenal round. But- yeah. Still not as good as Evelina Salinin's, apparently. Apparently not. All right, jumping back into the stats here. Let's jump into the MPO for a minute. So, in the MPO, there were, for the entire week, there were 18 rounds that were nine under or better. That was 4.4% of all rounds that were played. All four of Paul Macbeth's rounds were nine under or better. They were all in that top 4.4% of rounds. Wow. On top of that, Eagle McMahon, three of his four rounds were also in that top 4.4% at nine under or better. And the only round of his that wasn't was eight under. The man is a machine. Both of these guys, yeah, when they're on. Just, I mean, can you imagine every single round? So of the 18 rounds that were nine under or better, those two guys accounted for seven of them.
1: They're too good.
0: That's almost half. They're too good. Yeah, just, just insane. So that's about like 38% of all rounds that were nine under or better. Wow. Or just those two guys. Staying on that topic, we've got holes under par statistics. So I'm going to read these from third to first in the MPO. So keep in mind, four-round tournament, 72 holes played if you made the cut going into round four, which all of these three guys did, of course. So third place MPO, holes under par, Chandler Kramer at 36. So that is exactly half of the holes were played under par. In Chandler's case, they were all birdies. He did not have any eagles. So that's 36 birdies out of 72 holes is exactly half the holes. In second, Paul Macbeth, 44. 44 holes, two of which were eagles. So Mm -hmm. two eagles and 42 birdies. That is a margin over third place of eight holes. That's a that's a ton. <laughs> yeah, well, hold your surprise because Eagle uh, yeah. McMahon. I know first place, forty-eight holes under par. That is four more than Paul Macbeth, who was already eight more than anybody else.
1: Yep. They, they those two were playing on an absolute different level. If you if you just look the stroke differential right between first and second Eagle 42, Paul 41 under par. Third place Kevin Jones, great to see him on the podium, 25 under. 17 strokes back of Eagle.
0: Yeah, and 16 strokes back of Paul and courtesy of PDGA Instagram and I'm assuming that probably came from Statmando originally. That 16-shot gap between second and third is the largest gap in a major, I believe, in PDGA history. Wow.
1: Yeah. So while we're talking about Statmando, I was able to pull up. Their website makes it really easy to find these sorts of stats, and they actually have... a page already that pulls the hundred best rated PDGA rounds in FPO history, and it updates live when you click on it. So Evelina's 1028 round is on the list. It's it's in the top 50 or so. Haley King's round three at GMC last year is fifth place, 1052. And then there are four rounds better than that. And Paige Pierce has three of them. Oh man. Paige Pierce having the highest rated FPO round of all time, 1059 at Jonesboro Open 2018. Second best 1058 Katrina Allen at PDGA Worlds 2012.
0: Wow, that's kind of quite a spread of years there.
1: Yeah. Very interesting. She shot a hundred points, more than a hundred points above her her rating.
0: Yeah, no kidding. That's a... Yeah. Uh... A heck of a round, for sure. All right, yeah. good, uh, good on-the-fly statistics.
1: Yes, thank you to Statmando for making that, that easy to find that.
0: Yeah, you tend to be good at the on-the-fly stuff. I, I usually uh, leave that stuff for after, after the recording, but you're pretty agile in that respect. So.
1: I'm going to call it Stat Scrambles.
0: Stat Scrambles? Oh, man. All right, so after the Players Tour Championship... We're going to have to get some uh, stat scramble stats on you. And I'm sure we'll have some some stats on on the podcast stats, maybe. Uh, yeah, and that stats, would certainly have to be one of them. On stats. All right, let's jump back to Chandler Kramer here for a second, because Chandler Kramer, not a name that most people are familiar with. In fact, quick shout out to at DG Statman on Twitter, Will reach He... Uh, Him and Disc Golf Doug at Disc Golf Doug have a disc golf simulation model, I believe is what they call it. And it is a predictive model that tries to predict who will win the tournament each week. And that model that they've developed, uh, the details of which I'm not super privy to, but regardless, that model, the DGSM, predicted that Chandler Kramer's odds of making the lead card in the final round were lower than his odds of making the cut at all. So it it predicted that he was more likely to miss the cut than make the final day lead card. And I don't remember the percentages that the model gave in uh, both of those two respective outcomes, but nonetheless, Chandler Kramer having an amazing weekend, placing fifth place at the end of the tournament, And he did this despite 13 OBs. Everyone who finished better than him had no more than six. And Chandler Kramer was only behind third place Kevin Jones by, I think, two strokes, three at most. So
1: to only be
0: two or three strokes behind Kevin Jones in third place and have seven or eight more OBs than him and everyone else who finished higher than him. Uh, Pretty impressive that he was able to stay in that fifth place slot. Of course, doing so on the back of the most strokes gained T to green than any player in the field, like we said earlier, by about half a stroke. He,
1: He lost strokes to the field putting and finished in fifth place in a field of 118 people.
0: Yeah, no kidding yep all right and
1: i i wanted to take a second just just to shout out doug and will definitely check them out on instagram their stuff is really cool the predictive model is is really awesome i you know jesse you and i have talked about getting getting will on the podcast to talk about it and and some of the stuff that goes into his predictive model and you know some of its limitations and some of its strengths um you know, hearing him talk about it, he's really passionate about it and he definitely understands it really well and understands its limitations. I, I think it'd be really cool to have him
0: on. Totally agree. Um, certainly would like to see that happen. Chandler Kramer. So, this was only his second major ever. I think he only started touring uh, maybe last year, 2021 or 2020. Um, So this was only his second major. His other one was this year. It was Champions Cup, at which he came in 68th place. Mm -hmm. So certainly his best major finish of his career, for sure.
1: Yeah. Chandler's only been pro since 2020. Interestingly, his PDGA number is higher than yours.
0: Yeah, it's like in the 130s. 139, yeah. 139. So that's actually closer to your number than my number. It sure is. So I'm sitting at uh, roughly 128,000, and you're at, what, 146? 148, yeah. Okay, yeah. All right, staying on the MPO T to green stats, I've got some green slugging stats for you, one of our favorites on the pod. So I'll read these... uh, Third to first, I guess. I guess e- either way has its its benefits, but I'll go third to first. So third place in green slugging. We have Lori Leitenen, 1.45. It's a pretty big number.
1: Yeah, that's that's a great, great green slugging.
0: This is for the tournament. This is for the tournament, correct. Thanks. So obviously these numbers are going to be heavily dependent on what course is being played, but... Typically, what we've seen through the course of this year is on most courses, 1.45, usually good enough to take it down. But let's keep moving up the list here. Second, we have Paul Macbeth, 1.46. So only edging out Lori Lightinen by 0.01. So that's a huge testament to what Lori Lightinen was able to do this week because we haven't talked about him at all on this episode so far. And I haven't really heard anyone talking about his performance at all over the weekend. Um, but clearly, the T to Green game was very strong for him this weekend, as he's posting basically the same green slugging as Paul Macbeth. In, in,
1: in an event where Paul Macbeth sort of ran away with it, T to Green.
0: Right, for sure. Uh, Lori in this event, finishing one stroke outside the top 10, finishing 11th at 17 under. So, obviously, not a disappointing performance at all. And then, I just said Paul Macbeth 1.46. Eagle McMahon, first place in green slugging at 1.57. That's great. Quite a delta there between him and Paul. Yeah, big jump. On the FPO side, we've got some green slugging numbers as well. I'll read these bottom up as well. Uh no surprises here really. So in tied for second place, we have Hannah Blomroos and Paige Pierce at 0.67 and in first Evelina Salinen 0.71. So that might be Evelina Salonen's lowest green slugging on the year. I have not yeah. generated that number. Um but it's it's a good guess, I'll say. Um, I certainly haven't seen any number of hers be lower than that, and it makes sense, of course, where they're playing a course that's nine thousand feet long. Yeah, the the
1: player averages, you know, the the round averages in the FPO were about ten strokes over par, so it's it's not a huge surprise um, to see the the green slugging numbers be that low.
0: Yeah, not, not at all. No surprises there. Yeah. All right. Admittedly, I do not have a ton of stats here remaining, but they're pretty good. <laughs> um, two, One of which I'm going to save for guess the stat because okay. that's got to be a good one. And uh, a couple of these also pretty good as well. Let me read off a quick... Couple shout outs for people who had their best finish at a major, starting off with Kona Panis. So, Kona Panis finished sixth. So, this is certainly one of her best finishes of the year. We haven't talked about her a whole lot. Um, and again, keep in mind, field size was only 24 people. So, finishing in sixth is top 25% or so. Um, but, sixth, regardless. Uh, that ties her best finish at a major, and it was her 11th major overall. She lost about two thirds of a stroke to the field putting. That was good for 10th out of 24. And in Circle 1X in particular, she lost just under one and a half strokes. Good for 15th of 24. So we. The story for Kona all year has been struggling on the green, and particularly in in Circle 1X. At this tournament, she was 63% from C1X, which, while below average for the FPO, is not horrible given her recent stretch. So that 63% C1X is her highest percentage since Beaver State Fling, where she putted 70% from C1X. And overall, is it is her sixth best performance in C1X on the year. In the three events between Beaver State Fling and the European Open, her best single tournament C1X percentage was 53% at Idlewild. Mm. So wow. she has been on the struggle bus lately. Uh, in Circle1X in particular, but 63% this week was a good step in the right direction, and that was a huge reason she was able to get sixth place at this tournament and, like I said, tied for her best finish at a major. Kat merch. This surprised me. So She's actually played in six majors, which is about half as many as Kona. Kona's been on the scene for a bit, and Kat, not quite as much, so I was surprised that she's already got six majors under her belt. She finished in fifth place this week. And I believe yeah. after round one, if I remember correctly, she had the lead, actually, after round one. That's so right. that fifth place finish is her best finish in a major in her short career. Her previous best was 14th, which she did twice, both this year at USW DGC and Champions Cup as well. And final player who had their best performance at a major, Nicholas Antala, or, you know, final one that, that I listed anyway. I'm sure there were plenty others. Nicholas Antola in the MPO Fourth place. Uh, this is a guy, like, people know about Nicholas Antola. I don't think people realize... Uh, Nicholas Antola is not a guy that people will go out of their way to pay attention to, right? So okay. he's one of those guys that kind of has to do something really impressive to put his name out there for the people. Fourth place at a major, certainly going to be exactly that. Uh, It's only his fourth major that he's ever played. So, of course, it is his best finish at a major yet. His previous best finish was 13th.
1: Yeah, that surprises me that that's only his fourth because, you know, I I think of him, at at least in recent years, as, you know, one of the, the top few MPO players in Europe.
0: Yeah, so I think a big reason there is that. Um, most of his majors, if not all of them, are European Opens. And so there are a lot of majors that happen in the United States that he's not attending, right? so Not, Not playing, right? That's really the biggest reason there. Yeah. Final stat I've got on the day. This one, once again, courtesy of Will Rach at DG Statman. After round three, hole 16, Katrina Allen and Paige Pierce were tied in total strokes on the year with 2,635 strokes. Unbelievable. Yeah, so if you don't follow at DGStatMan on Instagram, go follow him and find a recent post that he just made that shows the stroke differential between Katrina Allen and Paige Pierce this year. It is fascinating. I think at one point, Paige had a lead of about 22 strokes. And that has already been whittled away. Despite her winning many events this year, uh, Kat clawing back in the total strokes race and got it all the way back to tied as of round three.
1: Yeah, I, I love those sorts of stats, right? They're, they're sort of the invisible stats, you know, that y- you don't see unless you dig for them. And sometimes those are the most interesting ones.
0: Right, right. And even like knowing knowing to dig for that right i mean it's totally possible you just dig for that and it's not super interesting i mean maybe page has it by 57 strokes you know and at which point it's like oh okay i was hoping something was there but didn't really materialize but no i mean he kind of struck gold on that one that was a really really fun stat there so good work by will as always
1: yeah, I've, I've got, you know, one more quick one here. Um, I want to shout out two players. This is an update on the DGPT standings on the year. So Brody Smith finished in 16th, which he's another player that that would make that his highest major finish, tied with Simon Lazat in this event. And that was enough to bump him up to qualify for the play-in. So good job, Brody, on that finish there. I, I definitely root for Brody. I know maybe in the past he was a bit more... Um, people weren't sure how to feel about him when he kind of entered the community, and I think people have come around to him. I think they're it's obvious how much effort he's putting in, how much he loves the game, and... Um, you know he he speaks his mind and and that bothers some people, but I, I love seeing him out there grinding and he's he's got a great game. He's one of the best circle two putters in the in the MPO field.
0: Yeah, couldn't agree more.
1: Yeah, and then this is the probably the most exciting uh, DGPT standings update that we're gonna have all year, and it's about Eagle McMahon. So. Keep in mind that Eagle McMahon only played two events prior, LVC and Champions Cup, um, and those those events he finished 21st and 14th, which is pretty good, but not not amazing compared to other players of his caliber, and by finishing first in this major, he earned himself 150 points which rocketed him up the DGPT standings to 30th place, which means he is qualified for the DG- DGPT finales. He doesn't have to go in the play-in. Previously, he was not even qualified for the play-in. He was so far down the leaderboard, and now he is qualified in. That's how good this finish was.
0: Yeah, I don't care who you are. If you only play two events and you finish outside the top 10 in both of them, you are probably not going to qualify for much of anything, okay? And to win one major and suddenly you're qualified, you're in the mix. Um, Sure. I mean, I I don't disagree that it should work that way. I think if you win a major in a calendar year, you should be qualified for pretty much anything that happens that year. So certainly not disappointed, but yeah, definitely funny how the numbers work there.
1: Yeah. And... So i I scroll down and and the players that would be eagle would be in the midst of if he had just not played this event and kept his previous point standings, he would be right around the sixty seventh sixty eighth in the d g p t standings event and and when you're down in that far you're you're talking about players that played you know three and four events or or you know maybe one and two in events and did okay in them or something like that so cool to see eagle jump up the list and and be qualified hopefully this means that he'll be playing at least a few more events this season
0: yeah i gotta think so i i don't think he would have played this event if he was unhealthy enough to consider not playing the next events that are coming up so i suspect he'll he'll be back at it for for quite some time and hopefully uh Avoids those injuries and keeps throwing left-handed.
1: Yeah, I, I don't see him registered for anything short-term at least. Um, but you know he may just be be playing it by ear. Um, I, I he's registered for for worlds. It looks like. Um,
0: hmm. Okay. Yeah, I guess I would have expected him to be in Diglo, but yeah, yeah I uh, so. I don't blame him for taking it off. So,
1: no, I I'd rather that than see him get hurt and potentially affect something permanently.
0: 100%. So, Joe, I've got one last stat here and I've saved it for guess the stat. Are you ready? I'm always ready to guess the stat. All right, this one's pretty simple. Ricky Wysocki finished outside of the top 10 at the European Open. He did he finished tied for 12th. So not that far outside the top 10, but outside the top 10 regardless. Can you tell me the last time that Ricky Wysocki finished outside the top 10 in a major?
1: Can I tell you the less? Okay. Um, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna go with my gut here. I can't think of anything in recent memory at, at least as long as I've been playing that that I think Ricky finished outside the top 10. I'm inclined to say never, but there's got to be like one of his early early ones. So it, it's probably like 2012 or 2013, but I, I might guess I'm gonna go with like 2017. He, he probably finished like. 11th at the european
0: open in 2018 or something like that sure so i like the thought process uh the answer is october of 2014
1: okay so october of
0: 2014 that was the 2014 usdgc and get this he finished 43rd
1: okay was that his first major do you know
0: No, 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 no. His first one, I think, would have been, like, 2011 or 2012. Okay. And uh, so in between the 2014 USDGC and the 2022 European Open, he had a streak of 21 consecutive top 10s at majors.
1: Hmm. That's pretty insane.
0: That's a pretty impressive streak. And unfortunately... (laughs) comes to a close finishing in 12th so close so close yep but yeah sorry that's uh that's all i got this week joe so do you have anything else that's all i got as well all right it looks like we're actually going to keep this one to a little under an hour that's something that we would like to do going forward so hopefully our streak of episodes under one hour is only just beginning
1: yeah, I, I always like talking about these majors. There's so many stats and, you know, with the strong fields and, and good field sizes, you know, maybe not so much in FPO this time, but it makes it easy to talk about some good confidence stats. Um, and we get really excited about these major episodes. So you will hear from us pretty soon next week talking about Glow. Excited about that tournament. Toboggan is one of my favorite courses to watch on tour. Looking forward to that.
0: Yeah. Couldn't agree more. So, until next time, talking about the Discraft Great Lakes Open, or GLO. any closing thoughts, Joe? That's all I have. Me too. So, until next week, peace.